Suicide Zen Forgiveness, the pod that shares the stories of those affected by suicide. Lost a loved one? Attempted it yourself? Did you know that when you share a burden, the load is lightened? Come listen in with your host, Elaine Lindsay. Suicide Zen Forgiveness, the podcast, is for education only. Some of the subject matter could be triggering for those that are newly grieving or in a poor state of mental health. Please call your local suicide hotline or mental health office if you need immediate help. Hello. It's wonderful to be back uh, with you today. I am Elaine Lindsay, and this is Suicide Zen Forgiveness. Uh, today, we have uh, what I consider an absolute gift of a guest. And it's going to be, to me, a little more positive and uplifting. We share some very, very painful stories, and we do come out the other end with hope and and uh, looking towards the future. But today, we're starting in that place of hope and and what we can do positively for ourselves. Without further ado, I would like to tell you a little bit about my guest. My guest is Sarah Sparks. I'm actually going to read her bio because I, I really want you to get the, the gist and the depth of who she is. So she, Sarah Sparks, MPA, is a highly sought after spiritual business advisor. She's the director of spiritual life, community and belonging, and she's the founder of Create the Spark. LLC. Sarah is an international best-selling author, podcast host of a top 10% nationally ranked podcast, and she's a successful business owner who's here on this earth to teach professionals how to lead with their soul by listening to their divine guidance. Sarah believes you are extraordinary and meant for more, and she can help you know why you're here so you can live the life you're meant to live. Without further ado, here is Sarah. <laughs> Hello. Hello. <laughs> oh, I love it when I love the introduction. And you know, it still is so weird for me to even hear my own bio because sometimes in my own head, I'm just Sarah Sparks. <laughs> like, I'm still just that farm-raised, college-educated, former local government employee turned business owner chick, you know? So. <laughs> I love that. And that's part of what drew me to you, because you are, you're wholesome and you're welcoming and you're empathetic and you're kind. And you are always in service. And that, to me, is the epitome uh, of what the better me I'm aiming for strives for, is to be. To me, it's like you're, you're constantly in joy. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. And I also 
would like to be even more honest with you. I'm not always a joy. <laughs> I may seem like that, but there are moments that I have a daughter, Joy, who's five. And um, she sometimes takes me out of, or I get out of Joy based on her reaction. <laughs> Like this morning when she wouldn't eat breakfast and we had to leave in a matter of five minutes, you know, I mean, those, those mm -hmm. moments are not a chore. <laughs> oh, I know. I, I won't always, I, I feel like at some point in my life, I won't always be so, uh, oh, let's, let's break it down. I don't know. I, I sometimes feel like I downplay what people are, are sharing with me and I'll work on that. <laughs> No, and the, and the whole reason I asked that is exactly for what you answered me. Because people tend to look at us and only see the shiny, lovely bits. Mm -hmm. But I know you're human. I know you have a five-year-old. And I don't care how good your child is. There are days where they can try your patience. Yes. But you are so genuine. Mm -hmm. You immediately took the time to, to set us on the right path. And, and that's exactly what I was hoping for. Oh, yes. <laughs> because, yes. Too, yeah, too mm -hmm. many times people, people do just give us the good. Yeah. That was not what I was saying. Oh, no. And if, may, if I may just insert my own experience with that. Yes. Um, there, there was many moments. But when I had my first, my, my oldest daughter is uh, nine and a half now. And when I first had her, I went into postpartum depression. And I stayed there for 16 months. Part of that was not to like, there was multiple factors to that. But one of them? was that I had this expectation that when I had a child, every they're going to sleep through the night and the commercials were all like a baby floating on a cloud. Yeah. There wasn't a commercial of my child having colic and screaming for four hours for six weeks in a row every single night. I mean, what in the test your mental strength of things. I was like, I think I'm going. And right before I had her, my business was booming and filled. And I had five speaking events every single month and I had clients and it was filled to the point that in 2000, I had her in 13, at the end of 13, 14 and part of 15. I was like, I don't care if you're happy because I'm not happy. And oh my gosh, you know, and I never want to share that with her because I don't want to be like, oh, you did like, you know, because some parents, I think like, oh, you're the worst birth I've ever had. And I'm like, oh, please, let's not put that on the child, you know, but, but whoo, yeah. So I, I had this expectation that life would be wonderful. And then, you know, I, I had all these baby showers and people giving me these cute little shoes and things. Children don't want to wear shoes. <laughs> No, thank you. No. Ba babies don't want to wear shoes. No. Don't get don't get people shoes. Just don't no. like maybe not even socks. Because definitely no shoes, no socks. I'm going to be there because you leave them littered through your day. Wherever you may be, you will find a sock or a shoe. 
Yes. And, and when they're really little and, and you put those stupid mittens on so they don't scratch themselves, oh, yes. those too will be in that trail. <laughs> I remember, I remember leaving those little mittens on for like, oh, a good two days. Can't do that either. No, you cannot. And there was in between her hands. And I was like, oops. I mean, like, new mom. Oh my gosh. But again, I look from outside looking in, never had kids, never babysat. I wasn't this person that was like, I love children. Can I hold your baby? I was like, yeah, that's good. You do you. Good job. <laughs> but once I had my own and their little souls chose me, Amira's soul chose. Craig, my husband, and I, three years prior to her even coming, she gave us a message. She told us what to name her. She says, whenever you guys are ready, I'll come. He and I had a conversation and was like, I think we're ready. She was conceived. And and then I, <laughs> and then out came Amira Naomi. So, you know, um, so she chose us. And having that experience gave me enough courage to be like, okay, I can be a mama, you know, but I still had the expectation back to the outside looking in that everything is perfect. Um, and then I, I got a, I got it handed to me. <laughs> like, uh, no, it's not, it's not perfect. And what are you going to do with it? And oh, I think it's a good question about life. Like, Hey, life is not perfect. What are you going to do about it? Yeah. And the fact is they don't come with a manual. Okay. And no two babies are the same. My two children are the exact opposite. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and I feel for you, my sister had colic mm. and um, it was hard on all of us <laughs> to the extent that they bought me a present and I gave, rewrapped it, gave it back to them and said, here, I'll give this back if you take that back. <laughs> was it was it headphones? <laughs> no, it should have been. They didn't have headphones in those days. And uh, God rest her soul, my sister never let me forget it. <laughs> that was a story we often told people that I really didn't want her. I was I was bound and determined on being an only child. <laughs> it's not so great to be an only child. Mm -hmm. I can tell you at the, at the late age of 65, uh, it, it was not uh, what I wanted, but it gave us both a good laugh for many years. <laughs> <laughs> the concept of postpartum depression is actually a really good place to start, I believe, because it can totally mess with your head. <sighs> It can, you know, people, I, I know people who were worried for their own safety or worried for the safety of their child. Um, it, it is not something to trifle with. And, and I think probably it's important that you, you get help. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think many things con contributed to my my state of mental, I didn't, I felt like I had to do it all. I was breastfeeding. So the baby was on me every two hours, but then she only wanted to sleep on me. So then there was that. So she was literally eating, sleeping, pooping on me. And I was used to meditating for, I mean, like I was 
Like we, I spent, I was in my thirties when I had her. So like I would meditate, I would help others. I would do speaking events. I had time with my husband. His love language is quality of time and physical touch. Well, when I've been touched all day by a child, there wasn't much physical touch going on. And then quality of time, there wasn't any. So then he wasn't feeling love. So then he would have his own experiences trying to fulfill those. And then that, then I would take that personal. And I, I had all these tools. I mean, I was teaching them, but when I was not, when I didn't feel supported, when I didn't feel loved, and then I wasn't getting to be me, like who, who I had gotten to know, I had no idea who this stay at home mom, non-business owner person was like I was having to redefine me and I got lost in it and I think and that so depression any any time I have experienced depression for me and I cannot say this for anybody else because I've not done any, any sort of research or anything but for me from my observation of my own experience depression is one of the furthest emotions away from me being my soul. So it is probably the furthest away that I could be from who I know I really am. And that emotion of depression is my indicator. Oh, you have walked so far away from me, soul, that now it's going to be a journey back. And I remember at 16 months, I walked outside of 16 months of postpartum depression and 16 months and I walked out and we lived in Florida at the time. It was always blue skies, sunny. Oh my God, yeah. But I walked outside and I looked up and I was like, huh, when did the sky turn blue? Like, when did that happen? I mean, and I, I, in 16 months, I start, I was officiating weddings on the beach. I was doing little things that would bring in some income because I like to contribute mm-hmm. to my household family, but like, I was still taking care of the, you know, the, the child. And so, so different than now, but anyways, um, yeah, I would, I would officiate weddings. So I would be out on the beach watching sunset and everything, but I wasn't seeing it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I was, I was too far inward to express fully who I am. And so that's, that's my definition of, a state of depression yeah. is that I have walked so far away from my soul. That's one, actually it's beautiful, but it, it's, it, it's such a, such a good analogy for what depression is because you, you don't see what's around you. You, mm-hmm. you can't even, you know, feel I, yeah. So depression, you could also look at it like suppression. Like you have suppressed your soul. You suppressed the very essence of who you are. Yeah. And, you know, to speak to, to you have a child and, and yeah, it changes everything about you. And, and there is that, that inner core of, of deep responsibility Mm -hmm. now you, you are responsible for this other tiny human that has to rely on you for everything. <laughs> and, and that's, I mean, that's huge. And, and I know um, 
children, other people's children scare me. I'm, I'm, I'm not the one who you go into a room and go, oh, let me hold the baby. No, that's fine. <laughs> Show me a picture. Uh, yeah, I'll just look from here. Uh, no, no, I don't want to touch the baby because <laughs> God forbid I break it. <clears throat> we we all have our little oddities, I suppose. Yes. But it, it's wonderful that that you made it to that other side. And in all probability, I think uh, doing those weddings on the beach and, and still contributing sort of gave you a little lifeline mm -hmm. that allowed you to find your way back. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. And the second child, um, I had the support that I needed. I didn't feel alone. Um, and I wasn't exclusively breastfeeding. She didn't want to. So it wasn't just all on me. Right. And I, I think um, if people like that and they thrive, like if they, oh, yeah. if they like to have everything on them and they like that responsibility and they thrive on that concept and that, that experience, then they may not experience what I did. I'm not like that. I like partnership. Yeah. Yeah. And so when I do feel completely alone in doing anything, whoo, it's just not, it's hard. It's hard. It, yeah. I, that's just me. So, yeah. And, and I think a good point there is people who are the Lesh League and are very much about being hands-on at all times, they are looking at it from a completely different perspective. They, they in some way, prepare themselves to lose themselves, to become this other that was, was now totally in service to this little being mm -hmm. yeah yeah i'm not one of those <laughs> <laughs> i i adore my children my grandchildren but there is a a certain trepidation i don't want to say fear it's not really fear but there, there are so many things that can impact our children impact our grandchildren that we don't have control over and and i guess i'm a bit of a control freak <laughs> um because there is so much we cannot control mm -hmm. from a soul perspective getting for people to get into depression other than postpartum Mm -hmm. to, to just, you know, fall into depression or suffer anxiety or, you know, in, in my case, I had suicidal ideation since I was young. It was yeah. just, uh, it, it was a, a, a passing thought with everything. Yeah. You know, I burned the toast. Oh, well, I can make new toast or I can just end it. Like that's that's a little extreme, but but that no, I and I get what you're saying. I yeah. I've experienced the same thing, so I mean yeah. I get it. Yeah, it, it was always sort of one one of those options, and the one thing that it's really important for people to understand because we don't we think we're the only one ever who's ever felt whatever way we feel. Mm -hmm. And um, I know I saw an interview a few months ago with 
um, Pete Buttigieg's husband, and he said he grew up thinking he was the only one ever who felt the way he did, who was different. And it was just such a, such a telling moment because we all do that. No matter what the, what the issue is for us, no matter whether it's big or small, when it's something that eats at our core, it's like we just assume we are in this bubble. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, from a soul perspective, is that is that something you can work on? Is it something that is sort of intrinsic to certain types of people? <clears throat> to feeling alone is that what you're get asking me does like feeling, from a whole yeah. perspective okay. be, being and feeling that you must be do uh, say anything and everything that relates to your survival or your your activity your anything is only and all about you oh um from a soul perspective, um, you are not, from a soul perspective, if that's a very human, that's, that's a very human experience, a human response. Because from a soul perspective, and the, um, it's almost like you come out of your human experience, your, your human body, and you can observe all the intricate connections with everyone. And then you realize that you are all one and that you are all creation and you are all this divine. And the, the human that's showing up, let's say you have a neighbor that, that drives you nuts and they are just talking, 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 talking and being very negative and so forth and so on. You know, you might be like, oh, this person is driving me nuts. But at the very core of who they are, they are this divine creation. And there is an essence to them. They may have forgotten that that essence. So it's not necessarily my, my responsibility to help this person survive, uh, help them be happy, help them find, I, I mean, it's literally my soul's calling is to teach people to lead with their soul by listening to their divine guidance. I can channel one's soul's calling, why their soul came into their body during this lifetime. But even at that, it's not my responsibility to make them live it. And right. so it's not, so it, it, from a human perspective, we think we need to do whatever we need to do to make sure that the, these things happen but when we step into the essence of, of, of ourselves, when we step into that life force energy of that which we are, all we realize is that we are actually energy and that we're vibrating. And, and, and whatever we, Spirit has told me several times, um, but initially it was just vibrate at what you desire and it has no other option but to come to you. And you can re- repeat that, you can stop this pause, but vibrate at what you desire and it has no other option but to come to you. That is recognizing that you are energy first and foremost. So when you're tending to your energy and you are focusing on your consciousness, your mindfulness, your your energy, the essence of, of you, of who you are, then as that expands, you realize that you're not alone. You realize that you are one with everyone. So there is uh, respect and honor that happens for that oneness that is within you. Then from that respect and honor, it, it permeates out into respecting and honoring others. 
So therefore the conversations change, you care less, you forgive more, there's a state of Zen. And so um, even if you do go into a, a state of depression, state of loneliness, when you connect back to, you plug into, you can recognize a little tip for those is just like, ooh, I feel this way. Who am I plugging into? Am I plugging mm -hmm. into like view yourself like an outlet, like, like you have, like you're plugging into an outlet. And so if you're plugging into a neighbor who is depressed, are, are you plugging into an old story that was told like your, like the story that you said about your sister? Well, I didn't want my sister around. Well, that could be a whole nother emotional state that you're like, well, no, I actually did want her around. It just was the moment of her colic and I didn't like it. But then it was a story that was told over and over. And then you got to find as the sister that didn't want me. So then are you plugging into that story, which doesn't make you feel all, the, all, all that great. But then you said you're 65, so I can say it again. So now like you're 65 and you're not, let's say six, because I don't know how old you were at the time, but you're, you're not six. But if you're, if you're plugging into your six-year-old self who feels like cock-a-pee-pee-poopashire, then <laughs> <laughs> then, then you may come back to that energy and you're not plugging into divine. You're not plugging into your divine essence. You're not yes. plugging into that oneness. And so then you lose a little bit of respect and honor for yourself. So then you, you may respond in a way to now your husband or the dogs or somebody else around you, a client and be like, well, I do want to be around you. It was just the moment. And then you're like, oh, wait, I'm not even plugged into you. I'm not even connected to oh, the moment. Good. I'm plugged into the past. And so I'm not even being my soul and being my six-year-old self who felt like crap about my sister. Like, does this make sense? It, it makes total sense. And and just just for clarity's sake, I am 67. Oh um, I, I was 65 when my sister died. Oh, okay. Um, and and um what you say it rings so true because. I would make light of it as a joke, mm -hmm. but there was a kernel of pain for her that I had felt that way. And I was four and a half. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing, unlike many other children, I had had my mother, my father, my grandmother, and my aunt all to myself for four years. I had a lot of adults I could manipulate. Mm. <laughs> so there was there was that too. But I understand what you're saying. And I think it's really important to, to get that when you know, and I guess my knowing came at 65, I started being much more present and, and relying on divine and soul for what I knew kept me where I need to be mm -hmm. and, and not getting myself so caught up in the human trappings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was a big lesson that I had to learn you're talking about human trappings. And one of mine is that I, I'm responsible for everybody else. I, I'm like responsible for other people's emotions. I'm responsible for their reaction. I'm responsible for their well-being. I'm responsible for their happiness. I'm responsible for their success, their business growth. Um, and I have painfully had to learn. So if, if, if words don't usually teach, but maybe 
you can feel into the energy that I have released for those who are listening that <sighs> your only responsibility is to be in alignment with your soul is for your own happiness, your own self, your own well-being, um, that you are saying yes to yourself, that you cannot give what you do not have. Um, and it, it starts with you. And if you really want to know divine, and that could be many people call divine something different. It could be God, source, creator, spirit, the universe, higher self, whatever you relate to. But if you really want to get to know divine, get to know yourself. And in that, you will understand that there is no separation, that there is this oneness, that you're never alone. And the moment that you feel alone on this journey in this lifetime, that is ego. And it's not edging God out. It's not something that's masculine and trying to like beat the devil out of you or whatever people say. Ego was formed between um, seven and 11. It's part of your psychology. It's part of your psychic makeup. It's part of your, your being. And um, I keep in my mind, ooh, is this ego popping up and just trying to protect me? Because its whole purpose is to keep you safe. And so things that are out of its safety zone, out of the comfort zone, whoop, don't do that. Oh, don't make that sale, Sarah. They're not going to pay. That's way out of your comfort zone. Oh my goodness. Or don't yeah. let your husband love you that much. What if he dies? What if he lives? Are you going to be able to love him even back? So ego is like kind of can, can be tricky because you're like, Ooh, is that my soul? Is that ego? Which I have a whole lesson on. Like, is this a thought that I'm thinking versus the thought that I'm receiving? But just know that ego, um, Ego is formed. It's it, between seven and 11. It's there to keep you safe. And so when you feel that those um, uh, like alone in this moment, in this lifetime, on this journey, that is ego just trying to keep you safe. Something has entered your life experience that is at a higher elevated state that, that, than what you are currently vibra vibrating at, which makes your being uncomfortable. And so, ooh, I'm going to just stay in this comfort zone. So then the ego will, will rise to the surface. But there's a question that I, I help. I it helps me. It's like, when I learned this, now my daughter is nine and a half, but when I learned this, she was six or six and a half. And so I thought, Ooh, okay, well, she's almost seven. Would I allow a seven-year-old to make my business decisions? Would I allow a seven-year-old to run my business? And I just related that to my ego. And so I was like, mm, no, because it's not fully formed. No. But I also think that we're not taught how to be an adult and be our soul and be free, which is where I guess I was placed on this earth to do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's such a, such a good point. And to, to that, I, I'll put the question to you because my understanding of ego and lizard brain and, and all of that comfort zone, the unfortunate thing is because it forms when you're between 7 and 11, if the only the zone you ever knew was abuse or 
constant fighting with your parents and, and in a home of chaos, then that in fact will be your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the nervous system will would rather live in its own hell than its own, own heaven because it, it knows its own hell yeah. rather than, and, and if comfort is your own hell, then you could not create your own heaven because you're like, ooh, so then you have to work with, yeah. you, you have to work with the subconscious. You got to work with the ego. You, you, you have to you know, lovingly parent is how, how I put it. Love, lovingly parent the ego. Yeah. At, because most of the time we're searching outside of ourselves for that comfort, for that support, for that guidance yeah. to people who don't have the capacity to, to, for, to looking for people who don't understand, could not love us. I think a lot of times um, part of our own mental state and our in the states of depression, um, we are searching for people to love us in a way that we want to be loved, but they can only love in the way that they can love. And so if there is a misalignment in that and we're missing each other, we're, we're in constant lack. Yeah. And yeah. then we think, oh, what's wrong with us? And I don't think that's necessary. Such a good point. Such a good point. By getting out of ego and, and paying more attention to the divine, I think we can conquer a lot more of the issues that we have. And I firmly believe that includes mental health and ideation and those things because if you are consciously aware and taking the time to address how you're feeling that aloneness that that separation and and pay more attention is there is there um mantras or are there uh, exercises mm-hmm. people can do to maybe you know I don't know if the right word is snap them away from ego or mm. oh goodness so what something and this this is coming from me who I've dedicated who I have dedicated my life to leading with my soul because that's what I'm here to do so I would say first and foremost get to know your soul <laughs> Like, like, uh, if you're like, yeah, do I have a soul? Who is she? Who is he? Is it, I have no idea. I would get to know your soul. I would get to know the very essence of who you are. Um, and it's more than a personality test and it's more than a college applicant test, aptitude test, whatever that's called. Like I would, I I could manipulate the crap out of those tests, by the way, because I'm like, oh, I would like to go into this college and study this. So I'm going to check all these boxes. I know I wasn't going to be a mechanic or a truck driver. So sure as heck wasn't going to be marking those boxes, you know, like, yeah, you know, and so it's like, okay, that's still very human of me. Um, oh yeah. But it's like, okay, who, who am I? M- many people come to me asking, who am I? Why am I here? What is my purpose? Those are the three questions that typically something has something has happened in their human experience, a death, a divorce, um, 
uh, people leaving their house, like empty nesters, um, or they are starting new or they've had lots of success and now they want more meaning and fulfillment. Like something has happened in their life that they're like, I want more. I need to know more. I'm meant for more. I feel like I'm, a, I'm extraordinary. I feel like there's a need for peace. There's joy. I want more of a connection. So that's when it's like, okay, I need to get to know who I really am. So I would start there is getting to know your soul. And I mean, yes, of course, please reach out to me and I can take you through. There's numerous programs. There's one-on-one, there's um, channeling session. I mean, there's so much, there's books, there's, I mean, there's just so much. So if you want like a guide to be like, where in the world do I start? I'm happy to, to talk. Um, but for me, so once I know my soul, then the question that I ask myself is, am I in this moment, these emotions? Okay, what's going on? Mm. Why for me, like if I, I want to go eat something that I know that my body's like, no bueno. And, um, and I don't speak Spanish. That's just what's something that I say. <laughs> like, just to be clear, this is not turning into like, I'm not bilingual by, by all means. Um, but I just, I'm like, okay, no bueno. I don't want that. Um, then I still am wanting it and needing it. So I check in with myself, what's going on? Like, why do I feel that? Like, what, what, what void am I, I trying to fill? And then, um, I also ask myself, am I being more dedicated to my soul or to my fears right now? Okay. So I know I like bird walked all around your initial question, but yeah. that would be a question that I would ask myself. So if you don't know your soul, you're like, how can I be dedicated to my soul? So that's why I'm just saying, get to know your soul first and foremost. And then when you do and you, you understand the essence of who you are and that energy. Ooh, am I being more dedicated to my soul right now or to my fears? And I like dedicated words, words matter. And so if you have issues with the word commitment, because humans have taught you that commit, that commitment doesn't happen, then you're being more dedicated to yourself. Like it, I just, I like the word difference. I, I love that. And yes, words are important. Mm-hmm. Words are critical in mm-hmm. in how we how we take in and what we put out. Absolutely, I totally agree with that. And yeah, I did not mean to put you on the spot. You, you're mm-hmm. giving exactly what it is that we need because it's about like starting somewhere. Mm-hmm. And all of this, all of what you're saying is. I believe we need to make an effort to be more mindful just moment to moment because I think that's how we lose ourselves in ego because we just, um, I I have had a spiritual advisor for since 2004 and uh, she always says, you know, ego or lizard brain or whatever takes over you're not in the driver's seat Mm -hmm. and that's not what you want you would not get in your car and sit in the back seat and Mm -hmm. and let the car do its thing i mean we will soon sadly (laughs) because that analogy won't work anymore Mm -hmm. but you wouldn't get in the car and get in the trunk and and you know have have no thought for your safety 
mm-hmm. if you just let it willy-nilly go where it wants. And and that in essence is is what you're doing when you're not driving. Mm-hmm. And because it's it's your soul you need to be in contact with. Mm-hmm. And the ego serves a purpose. Yeah. I think for our our human peace. I mean, we, we need that to to sort of make our way. But um, as you become more mindful and as you pay more attention to your soul, do you find that you catch those lapses or those events where you're going into fear more readily or more quickly? Hmm. I was just having this thought this morning because I think I may be entering perimenopause. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> and I'm like, emotions are all over the place. I wake up from a panic of weird dreams, which sends me into anxiety. And I'm like, this is not, this is not ego. This is not spirit. This is not soul. I could, this is my hormones all over the place. Hormone soup. <laughs> so I'm like, something's happening here. So in that regards, like, I just want to say that because I still have a human experience with this. So yeah. typically I can recognize it rather, rather frequently. I are quickly, not frequently, uh, quickly. Um, if let's say for instance, okay, I'll just say it. This past, a year ago, I had released 30 pounds and I was getting into a weight, getting close to my goal weight. And I I say goal weight, and it wasn't like something that on a BMI chart, I asked my soul, I was like, soul, what is the body that you want to be housed in? What does this body eat? What's the solutions? What does this body weigh? What does it look like? Soul, what is the body that you want to be housed in? What is what is what is that like? And I, I got an image, I got the weight. So that's what I mean by goal weight. So I'm heading there. I did not realize that that goal weight was the same weight I weighed when I abandoned myself. So ego took over and I didn't realize it for many months. So I I don't want to sit here and be like, oh yeah, I catch it frequently. And I ask this question and everything's great. Again, realness. Like I, I was, I was focused. I was driven. I was very organized with my meals. Everything was great. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, I'll have have a spoonful of Nutella. Oh, I'll I'll have a few chips. It doesn't really matter. Like I was, I was abandoning myself again. And I think my, myself, I look at it now as in my capital S self, my higher self, my soul. So am I abandoning my soul? Yes, you can. And I had a client say, yeah, you can. She's like, oh, I like the word abandon. She's like, you could look at, I'm abandoning old habits. I'm abandoning these, these, this past, these stories. I, I liked her take on it. Yeah. And also I don't want to abandon myself anymore, which no. then turns back to, am I being more dedicated to my soul than to my fears? And I didn't realize that that weight 
that that at that weight was what was even an issue. So I just said, I was like, is that why you like soul? Like, is that why you, you, and it was like, yeah, you needed to heal that or you would have continually abandoned me. And I was like, okay. I was like, is there a different weight? Now that we've healed this, now that I've committed to you and I don't want to abandon you anymore, what is that? And I got a different weight and I was like, okay, cool. So I, I don't know if that helps or not, but I'm just. It really does it. help. Okay, Sarah, because the question was more about me knowing and feeling you were going to answer it honestly because it's important for all of us to understand that perfection doesn't exist. It's <laughs> not what we're aiming for. And you do this work and you are incredibly good at what you do. It just, I mean, you, I can feel your, I guess the word is strength in partnering with other people to, to, to present their souls. That, sorry, that's how I see it. Mm -hmm. And that, that realness is sometimes what people need to hear because mm -hmm. yes, it's what we aspire to. I so want to be absolutely hand in hand in league with my soul every moment of every day. And that is not realistic. What needs to come up <clears throat> to heal and forgive will always come up, whether you recognize it or not. Yeah. And so the F is forgiveness. Yes. <clears throat> in your show. Yeah. Yes. And there was a moment in June. So last month, I don't know when this is going to come out, but <clears throat> most recently, and I realized I had not forgiven my husband for something that occurred mm, probably seven, eight years ago. And I thought I had. And so I was like, why is this coming up again? And he mentioned it and I just kind of like, whatever. But I realized I hung it over his head and I would bring things up. And I thought to myself, wow, there will never be a healing. There will never be freedom. And I think that's what we all want is for freedom in to be ourselves, to explore, to journey, to go on adventures, to freedom, to love, freedom, to choose freedom. And spirit says to me, forgiveness equals freedom and surrender equals success. And, and, and so my husband is screaming over here, energetically speaking, not actually yeah. screaming at me. He was like, all I want is to be free. And I was like, and energetically, I was like, what is he like? I know and, and what I mean by energy energetically, I can feel people like I, yes. I can feel what's going on. You like, it's not like most of the time when I was younger, I would have stomach aches or back aches because I would be feeling what was going on around, but I didn't have words to express it. Right. But the more that I express divine, it, the stomach aches go away, the back, ache, like it's all just, and <clears throat> we hold, and I, I know uh, Louise Hay, 
said probably this first, but we hold dis-ease in our body. And so if we haven't forgiven, we're holding that guilt. Where do you feel it in your body? And what do you need? Who do you need to forgive? It's not usually what, it's who. It's like, who is bothering you? <laughs> it's so good. And, and just so you and the audience understand, because I think I've, I've talked about this before, but it is forgiveness. It is suicide zen forgiveness because the final for me was forgiving me. Hmm. And it's a work in progress. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's definitely a work in progress. Mm -hmm. But it, the more I think about it, I, I, it's, I think that's a, a big thing for all of us. And I think in that suicide thoughts, you're abandoning self. And so that's the thing that I had to forgive. And that's like the weight loss and everything was, I am sorry, soul. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. I'm sorry that I walked away from you. And I'm sorry that I didn't trust you. I'm sorry I didn't listen to you. You were guiding me every step of the way. And I chose, I, human Sarah, was like, nope, I know better. Oh, yeah. So I, I had to forgive myself, my human self, for abandoning my soul. And, and if soul doesn't resonate, maybe you abandon God. Maybe you abandon divine. Maybe you abandon Holy Spirit, Jesus, source, creator. I don't know what resonates with people. Yeah, what, whatever label you, you want. And maybe there. you abandon this too much. When did you walk away? I definitely abandon fits me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. And and the, the the hubris of of assuming I knew better than than quite literally everybody. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it uh it, <laughs> it, you talk about weight loss weight loss journeys, but uh, I, I have said I, I went so far with the diets and and surgery and that that was a bust uh i even had my throat slit now that was not intentional but that's how far away from me i got that all that could happen in in search of what mm -hmm. you know when 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 you you come to be more connected with your soul when you come to have a better understanding and you, you start to forgive yourself. I forgave everybody else. And, you know, I had done that years ago. Mm -hmm. But when you come to forgive yourself and understand, you know, in, in some cases, in, in hindsight, it's just all so shallow. So... You know, the, the incredible conceit of our human parts that assume the entire world is focused on us. <laughs> they have their own issues. We're really yes. not that important. <laughs> <laughs> I, speaking of that, for an example, um, I bought a swimsuit 
that's um it, it ties with strings <laughs> and you know wow. it's light blue and I freaking love it but I thought oh I've gained the 10 pounds that I didn't you know when I bought it I was 10 pounds lighter and you know now there's a little bit more squeezing on me to, that my husband can grab on to. But I'm like, oh my. And so I wore it to the pool and I was like, I'm going to wear this. I mean, it's just our community pool, you know. Uh, we, we live in a community. And um, I wore it and I came home and I didn't care. I just walked around like, who cares? Like, <laughs> it's a swimsuit. I've got a body. Here I am. And um, I came home and Craig says to me, so did, did, did anybody say anything? Like you were afraid that people, someone yeah. was going to say something to you. I said, oh yeah, no, no one cared. <laughs> the only one focused on me, funny enough, was me. Yeah, they, no one cared. They, they were, they were playing with their children or probably worried about their own looks in their own swimsuit, you know? Absolutely. No one came up to me like, Wow. Why are you wearing that with those thighs? You know, no one says that. They may have thought it, but you know, they didn't say it. <laughs> and and I I have recently learned or recently actually taken on board other people's opinions are none of my business. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> because it, it just is showcasing you know our our own opinions about other people is just showcasing our our own our fears. Um, yeah, our, our our own confidence, our own fears, our own insecurities. Like it's 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 uh, the reflection, you know, is through our own lens, you know, of of yeah. what's happening. So it, I'm not wording that correctly, but yeah, I hope you get the chance. Yeah, you you really are, and <laughs> and it's so funny because the ego, the the humanness that we have. I'm going to tell you a quick little story. Right after my son was born, prior to me even considering weight loss surgery, I had put on a lot of weight after my, my accident. I was no longer able to do a lot of things and had, had definitely put on a lot of weight, was very uncomfortable in who I was. And uh, we had gone out for brunch to a place that we always went. And I had gone into the bathroom. And I was washing my hands and this woman came out of a stall and she looked at me in the mirror and she said, oh my God, it's so sad. You're so beautiful. Why are you fat? Holy balls. <laughs> now, wow. holy buckets. <laughs> that happened 41 years ago. That is the first time I have publicly said anything about it. Mm -hmm. It was such an assault because I was starting even then to learn that, you know, not everything's about you. And it was just a whack. Oh, yeah. People really do. Now, in the hindsight, she probably spurred me to take a, a better look at me. Mm -hmm. um, sadly, she spurred me to, to go have surgery in which I died twice. Oh, my goodness. So that wasn't really good. And that then came the slit throat. And all of that, in essence, because of one 
comment from someone I, I wouldn't know if I met her in my soup. Okay, I have no recollection of her face, but those words were etched on me, in me, for so long. And it's only recently that I decided, you know what, we're taking this out. We're going to shuffle it off because <laughs> it does not serve. But that showed me, you know, how deep down the rabbit hole you can go with ego and, and the, the fears that we hang on to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here I thought that humans don't say that stuff. It's only online. But this woman 41 years ago. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, there was no Snapchat. There was no Facebook. <gasps> There was no, none of that. No, she was up close and personal behind me. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, and isn't it, I, like in those moments, because I, so my, had you had, have you, did you think that, did you ever have that thought? Like, wow, you're so beautiful. Why, why are you so fat? Not, like, did, not the so beautiful. Mm. why are you so fat always Mm -hmm. always yeah yeah I had been experienced why I asked that question is I had recently been like am I being too much like how am I showing up online and I feel like I'm ready to be more in person for events and things um and so I'm like okay I was having my own fears about it. And then I gave a presentation and the feedback was, wow, you should really watch yourself. Sometimes you're just a lot. And I was like, okay, well, I, I had that concern. I know I'm very powerful. I'm glad that you said it out loud. Thank you. <laughs> so my point is, is sometimes we have, those thoughts about ourselves and just someone has said it out loud. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh, because vibrating at what you desire and it has no other option, but to come to you. That's exactly, exactly. Some, you know, we, we think, Oh, I'm, I need to vibrate at a million dollars. Cause that's really what I want. But sometimes we are vibrating and we're having thoughts, a vibration, a thought is a vibration. And so we're having these thoughts and then they show up in our quote unquote real life. And you're like, oh, that's not what we wanted. Yeah. And somebody outside of ourselves, outside of ourselves, says something to us that we've already thought about ourselves. And we're like, oh, yeah, hearing it out loud, that's not what I actually want. Yeah. And not in tune enough back then mm-hmm. or at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, to to what I could uh, and would end up being, mm-hmm. it just became like the thorn in the lion's paw. It was mm-hmm. consistently I stepped on that all day, every day. Probably because that's how you were defining yourself. Is I like you? You didn't anchor into you didn't plug into your soul because you didn't know right. who your soul was. So then this is how I'm going to define myself as. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it was. It was just confirmation of what I considered was true. Mm-hmm. The, the second half. Notice I didn't hear the first half. It was that second half that, that was just for me confirmation. And in hindsight, that was what led me to go against my whole family and go have a surgery that no one else wanted me to have. So it's really critical that that we get to know our souls so that we don't live out our fears. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And, and at 67 years old, I'm here to say that it's never too late. It is not. <laughs> <laughs> And just, you know, sometimes some of us are slow learners. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> well, I I have to say, oh, forgive me, I have kept you well over time. <laughs> I, I, I just, I think uh, conversations with you are incredibly beneficial. And I know the audience has, uh, I'm sure, taken some very much needed nuggets from this show today. Mm-hmm. We will have all of the information where you can contact Sarah and uh, follow her on her socials and go check out her podcast and all of the, all of the, that is the lovely Sarah Sparks. I cannot thank you enough. I do have to ask at some point, I would love to have you back. Oh, yes, of course. Excellent. Well, that has made my day. Thank you for having me. I was, I love having conversations and I love sharing. And sometimes, you know, spirits told me not to necessarily talk about those times that I was suicidal or that I planned my own death. um, But that if it is beneficial for somebody else to know that, hey, I've had those thoughts, I worked through those thoughts. And what really saved me in those moments was reconnecting to my soul. And at the time, I didn't know. I didn't know that I even had gifts. I didn't know that I even had a soul. But I kept hearing these little internal nudges, like, you're meant for more. You're extraordinary. Extraordinary people do extraordinary things. Keep going. I believe in you. And I was like, wow. And at the time, I was like, if something outside of myself can believe in me, I can figure out what I'm meant to do. And um, so I would just listen, listen to those nudges that actually feel good, that, that feels so good that you're like, whoa, what was that? Not those nudges that are make you feel really down and your heart hurt and your whole body just feels really heavy. Don't listen to those don't listen to those, but listen to the ones that really light you up. And it's like, wow, hmm. what, what, what was that? Where did that come from? See, that, that's, that's a wonderful indicator. That's, that's a signpost for you. Does it make you feel good or does it make you feel bad? Mm-hmm. Definitely follow the good. Yeah, follow the good. <laughs> Absolutely. So on that note, thank you very much for spending time with us here. I'm Elaine Lindsay. This is Suicide and Forgiveness. And as I say, we will see you next time. And meanwhile, make the very best of your today every day.
Bye for now. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe on your favorite service. Suicide Zen Forgiveness was brought to you by Truel Social Media, the digital integration specialists. Let them get you on page one in the search results. And also by Canada's keynote humorist, Judy Kroon, the motivational speaker, comedian, author, and stand-up coach at Second City. On the stage, Judy draws from her wealth of performance experience, wit, and insight to entertain, inform, and inspire in her dynamic keynotes and half-day workshops.